What's up, everyone? This is Rafael Garcia back for yet another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. It is uh, February 21st, and we are here for episode 113. It's myself and Shawan Humes. How you doing there, sir? Good as always. Just busy. You know the deal. I'm almost as busy as you are nowadays. Almost. Uh, yeah. not, 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 quite. Not, not quite. Not quite. That's how it goes, though, man. We always got something to do. Um, so we got quite a bit to talk about. I know we're going to probably focus most of our show tonight on Georgia St. Pierre. Uh, today he announced his retirement from mixed martial arts, and he did it in such a GSP way, in a very controlled fashion with a press conference that he held today, this afternoon. Did you get an opportunity to watch it? I got to ca- I caught the end of it. I was uh, busy at work, but I caught the tail end of it. I was really kind of mad. I, I missed the whole thing while it happened. What did you think of it, uh, of it, the way he announced it, his decision? Let's go ahead and talk about that first. What were some of your initial thoughts? I just thought it'd be like it was more, I don't know, it was pretty much like I, I expected of it. It, was, it wasn't like something kind of in the cage. It wasn't, I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't emotional, he wasn't invested in it, but it seemed like something he had planned out, it seemed like a professional setup and something that he had, he kind of treated it like it was a real life sports career. That's like how you know, Jordan's do it, the Peyton Mannings and people are, there's a big announcement, there's a press conference and you kind of handle everything in a, in a certain professional manner. And it's not something you often see in combat sports at all, much less, um, I mean, much less mixed martial arts. Usually somebody retires after they take a humongous beating and they see they don't have it anymore and they retire in the cage. And you see a little, a few interviews here and there, but for him to go pretty much full NBA, NFL press conference announcement speech, commencement that that was pretty impressive and it's pro- it's pretty much what i would expect from george st pierre i wouldn't expect anything less to be honest true man it was a, it was a interesting moment and as i mentioned it was very gsp like very in control of his career very in charge of everything that he's done and that's probably the most interesting thing about gsp's career is what you hear most people talking about um now that he is retired uh that he was in control of his career from start to finish and i think that that is probably the most important and it's something that we'll never see in mixed martial arts again is it kind of played a part in why he's retiring as well because if you uh weren't fully following the story he had been working with the ufc to try to get a fight booked against khabib Nurmagomedov for the lightweight title and we'll talk about that in a second but supposedly those negotiations fell apart and in and what seems like being a discrepancy amongst pay now uh gsp instead of waiting around and looking at fighting for bellator or doing something else in one or doing something else that he doesn't want to do he's walked away from the sport and i think that that's what's made his career so important he's done everything on his own terms and that's something that will probably never happen again when it comes to the ufc yeah, that's that's one thing. I mean, he's one of the guys, I don't know that in this era he'd be able to develop as a star the way he was. A lot of the things that separated him aren't really allowed as far as the different uniforms, uh, some of the ways he presented himself, some of the ways he carried himself at press conferences. It's kind of gotten awfully uniform. So if you're not talking trash or have some outstanding style in the cage, it's really hard for you to stand out amongst um, amongst the many fighters now and the many shows. It's easy to get lost. Um, like you said, he did take he took control of his career. He never let the fans make him fight a way that he didn't want to fight. When he realized he was getting to facing a certain kind of level, he made adjustments. 
and how he, how he prepared, how he fought, when he just felt that like he was overextending himself. He took time off when he was ready to come back. He came back. If the terms didn't meet what he wanted, he didn't continue on with the show. Like, like you said, he really took control of his career. He really took control of himself, and that allowed him to maintain a certain sense of dignity and a certain sense of distance for, from the average mixed martial artist or even the mixed martial arts celebrity because at no point did you feel like the UFC was able to push or prod or lean on him and no matter how badly they talked about him or no matter, no bad, no matter how badly they treated him or, or he felt they treated him he never came out and just cussed them out and they're terrible and they're awful and Dana's this and that he always handled everything very professionally he never burned any bridges he never put himself in a position where he'd have to apologize he never put himself in a position where he'd have to take a financial hit because of the stance he took or the way he talked or the things he did outside the cage. He's very, it's like a old karate master, which is what he is. Very controlled, very disciplined, very mentally tough, very precise and very well thought out. And everything he's done in the cage, now the cage has fit that manner. And I know a lot of people sign on to the Conor McGregor way of doing things. And I'm a fan of it or the Floyd Mayweather way of doing things. And I'm a fan of that too. But there's something to be said for a guy who never really lost his dignity, never really chased the money, and never allowed the sport or the organization to make him be or do things that he didn't want to do professionally or personally. There, there's something to say to have that sort of maturity and discipline and inner strength. And I think that what's been most important about his career is that he's done, like, as you said, he's done everything his own way. He hasn't. I think Luke Thomas was talking about this on the MMA beat today. Like there isn't any scandal around GSP. You have scandal around John Jones. You have scandal around who else? Ronda Rousey around so many other fighters, but GSP is basically pristine. Never been, he like, there's nothing that you can do to touch him. And what I think probably like the biggest thing I ever remember hearing about GSP is people saying that he liked to party. Well, he made his money. He was successful, and he. I, I remember uh, that he had a saying, you know, if he would go out and party all night on Friday, he still would make sure that his ass was in the gym Saturday morning and stuff like that that made him a champion. There isn't really anything you can do to detract from his career, and I think that that's probably the most important conversation that we need to have about him uh, as we look back across his uh, time in mixed martial arts. As far as as far as how we know, and, and there could be secrets he's hiding, we don't know that. But as far as what's happening in his inside life and his outer life as a, a human being, GSP is actually the guy he sold us that he is. You know, McGregor says he puts on an act a little bit. Mayweather says he puts on an act a little bit. Um, John Jones basically had us all fooled that he was a choir boy and a straight up standing guy who just went home and and trained his butt off and was always ready to fight. Um, even Anderson Silva, I'm a big, I'm still a fan, but he failed the drug test. Everybody's kind of not been who they said they were. And GSP's pretty much all he said is I'm just a regular guy who works hard, who happens to have a talent for fighting. I'm not a fighter. I'm not a warrior. I treat this as a sport. And I'm to this day, I'm still nervous to this day. I still want to have control to this day. I still want to be prepared. He never bought into the whole, I'll fight anywhere, anybody. He was all about improving himself as a martial artist and improving himself as an athlete and improving, to a certain degree, improving the sport for the people involved in it on an individual basis and across the sport as a whole. I mean, like you said, there's no scandal. There's nothing that said, GSP said he's one way and he's done nothing or he's never been in any eras that have presented him as another way. 
And that's something that's rare in any sport, much less he's basically like the LeBron James. LeBron James, for any flaws he's had as a player, the guy he's steady as he, he's been, he's been that guy throughout his career. You can say he's this and that and back and forth, but he's never been in any trouble. He has a loving wife. He has a great family. He's socially conscious. He looks out for his community. He looks out for other players. He looks out politically and socially. And to a degree, George St. Pierre has done that. He's talked about the rights of fighters. He talked about fighters being more professional and signing contracts with non-MMA sponsors and fighters need to stand up for themselves more. And a lot of guys say that, but then when you see what happens, they take the money and then they get quiet. And George St. Pierre has been pretty consistent about how people need to be in the ring, out of the ring, and just in, in how they deal with the fans. So it's nice to see somebody who said their one thing and actually been everything that they said they were. And the, he's made the money off of being this guy, and he's actually the guy that's made him all the money. And I can't say that for the majority of guys who fight in mixed martial arts right now. So looking at GSP's resume, where would you put him on the all-time list? I'd probably have to say, if not, I want, I want to say he's possibly number two, but I really find a hard time finding guys who have a better resume, even though he doesn't have a lot of champions on his resume. Almost all the guys he fought because he was a champion for so long had to essentially clear out the division before they got a shot at him. So he's essentially faced the very best, the very best contenders in every weight class in his weight classes because he's been champion so long. Guys, that ha- in the welterweight division used to be the hottest division out there. So you had to win five, six, seven, eight fights in a row before you got a shot at GSP. So by the time he's facing a guy, they've beaten everybody else from number 12th welterweight all the way to number two welterweight. So he's never faced You said you would put him at number two. Who would you put him at? I, I said I want to say number two, but it's it's hard to find somebody who's had a consistently difficult level of opposition and had as much longevity as him. I'd probably have to just put him at number one. I've seen guys with bigger wins, bigger individual wins over top, over top talent. I can't say somebody who's from one to 15 has faced guys of that caliber and guys of that quality. So I'd, I'd essentially have to put, I mean, you could possibly say Jose Aldo. You could possibly say Jose Aldo would have something to say about that, but I don't know that Jose's Al, Jose Aldo's strength of, strength of schedule is as strong as GSP's. But the closest person I would say would probably be Jose Aldo. Ooh, Jose Aldo. That's, that's, that's not a name that's been brought up. I think I've heard Fedor. I've heard uh, John Jones, of course. But no, I don't think anyone's brought up. John, John yeah. Jones has a good career, but a lot of the guys he beat were – GSP beat a lot of guys in their prime. A lot of the guys he beat are now in decline. Carlos Condit, Thiago Alves, John Fitch. Even John Fitch has extended his career, and he's still considered a ranked fighter in Bellator. He was – I think a, I think he fought for the championship. He might have won it in the, in the World Series of Fighting. So, I mean, just look at John Jones. That's a guy that GSP beat and beat handily, and he's still considered one of the better fighters in his weight class – what, five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago? GSP has a bunch of Hall of Famers on his list already. John Jones, his schedule's pretty weak, except for Machida and essentially Daniel Cormier. Gustafsson's okay. Shogun was well past his prime. Rampage was on a downward decline. Rashad Evans, downward decline. Fedor had some big wins, but Fedor also had some wins against guys who shouldn't have even been in the, in the ring with him. So it, it, it's not the consistency. The consistency is the issue. He's consistently beaten guys who have worked their way all the way up to the number two position in his weight class. They were experienced. They were seasoned. They were beating other top-ranked fighters, and he beat them all. 
that that's where it separates and the consistency of the performances and the, and the consistency of the level of opposition is what separates him from everybody else. He hasn't been as dynamic, he hasn't been as explosive or decisive, but he's consistently performed at this level for years and years and years and years against all Hall of Famers, former champions, future champions, and everything in between. So, I mean, let's look at, at, at his resume. Let's see who he's defeated, okay? He's defeated Michael Bisbee, who's obviously been a champion. And he's going to talk about GSP. Johnny Hendricks, former champion. Nick Diaz was a former champion. Carlos Condit, champion. Jake Shields, champion. Koscheck was not. Dan Hardy was not. Um, Thiago Alves, BJ Penn, double champion. John Fitch. John Fitch was a World Series of Fighting champion, right? Yeah. Oh, he, and he's a PFL welterweight champion. Uh, Matt Serra, former champion. Matt Hughes, former champion. Um, again, Matt Serra, Matt Hughes also defeated Josh Koscheck, BJ Penn, Sean Shirk, another former champion. Um, and that's it. So, I mean, yeah, like he's run through the best of the best. That was and, and he beat them while they were on. Well, they were at their peak or close to it. He beat Hughes when Hughes was still considered one of the better welterweights in the, the third or fourth welterweight in the world. He beat Alves when Alves was no worse than the second best welterweight in the world. He beat Johnny Hendricks when Johnny Hendricks was the number two welterweight in the world. Carlos Condit, number two welterweight in the world. Jake Shields was still, he was in the U, he didn't fall in the UFC, so he was top four, top five welterweight in the world, but he had won multiple tournaments, multiple titles in other divisions. So it's like you see all these guys, and they were all top five when he fought them. Shogun was in a top five light heavyweight when when John Jones fought him. Just because he he was in that position didn't make him make him those things. Stephen Bonner was in a top five welterweight light heavyweight when John Jones fought him. You know, there's a lot of guys he fought who who weren't of his caliber. Chael Sonnen was in a top ranked light heavyweight when John Jones fought him, and the light heavyweight division is notoriously thin. The welterweight division has almost consistently throughout the history of the UFC been one of the top three divisions in the organization. And he ruled over that or, that division for five, six, seven years. You know, that that's staying a lot. That's, that's what separates him. Such a high-level competition and consistently finds a way to beat him. And it wasn't just lucky punches, lucky submissions. It was almost complete domination against guys who are wiping the floor with everybody else. Yeah, he definitely uh, stood out amongst the leaders at, at that time. So Let's kind of close out the conversation about GSP. I want to ask you one last question. What is your favorite GSP uh, memory at this time? Uh, I'd probably say, even though it was a disputed win, the fight against Johnny Hendricks, because that's a fight I think that really separated him. A lot of guys will say it wasn't one of his better technical performance, but he wasn't able to lean on his wrestling as a crutch because Johnny Hendricks was a good enough wrestler where he could counter him and defend the takedowns and make him and punish him. And most importantly, John, John, Johnny Hendricks had been killing everybody. Everybody he touched went to sleep. Fitch, uh, Connor got beat half within an inch of his life. Uh, Martin Camden got knocked smooth out. He was just killing people. And people always felt that if GSP was in a war, he would break mentally and physically he would just quit. And he took numerous shots. Nobody took more punishment from Johnny Hendricks other than, than um, Robbie Lawler. And this was hot when Hendricks was untouchable. He took it for five rounds straight, and he pulled out a decision. And that's where you might not have seen the best of him technically, but you saw that he had the heart and the grit and the will of a champion because he wasn't able to dictate the way he usually was. He wasn't able to control him the way he usually was. He wasn't able to outpace him the way he usually was. He he didn't dominate him. He actually had to fight him. It wasn't a sporting exhibition. It was one of the few times you saw GSP in an actual physical fight. The other time would have been the first fight with BJ Penn. And he fought him, and he found a way to win. 
And even if he would have lost that fight, it would have been one of his better performances because he really was tested. He wasn't able to fall back on his go-tos. He wasn't able to separate himself athletically. He wasn't really even in his physical prime anymore. And he used seasoning, he used guts, he used heart, and he used championship will to win a fight. And that's the, that's what made him one of the best champions because it's easy to win everything's going your way. And for the first time in a long time, things weren't going his way from the beginning of the fight all the way to the end. And he found a way to survive and he found a way to win. My favorite GSP memory is part of it is the lead up to the fight with Jake Shields. I That's still my favorite fight promo to this day. Uh, I loved how they made it very clear that Shields was a dangerous, dangerous opponent. And he was actually the first guy to take rounds off of GSP uh, at, in years at that point in time. So that right there is my biggest moment because he probably, he soundly, he, he, he struggled a little bit. Yeah, Jake Shields was, you know, fighting a little bit dirty, but he struggled a bit, but GSP had to kind of pull it out there. And that's always been my favorite GSP moment, that right there, that he kind of carried that fight in, in, in such a way. That is, I mean, that was one of his better wins. That was probably a top three win just because of what Shields had accomplished in every other organization he competed in. So, yeah, I can see that one. Okay, so um, let's move on and let's talk about UFC on ESPN1 where we had some pretty intriguing fights and some interesting action from start to finish. We have to start with this main event where Francis Ngannou picked up a win over Cain Velasquez uh, in 26 seconds via knockout. So, Schwan, let's see, where do you fall in the debate? Was it the knee buckling or was it the punch? What happened? It, it was the punch. I don't. I, I don't know what these people are talking about. Kane was it basically what happens? What we talked about. Kane to work his game, he has to close the distance and get his hands on you. Push you up the cage, start forcing you against there, fight in the clinch, and start pushing for takedowns to get you down and wear you out. He doesn't have a way to close range safely. He doesn't have a jab. He doesn't use feints. His fe- his footwork is very predictable. He uses pressure and physicality. That's what he does in aggression. He came in there. He had Ngannou against the fence. Except Ngana is very good at finding shots and setting up shots. All Ngana did was create space and throw the uppercut. The uppercut snapped his head back. His legs went out from underneath them, and that's when his knee buckled. His knee didn't just buckle, just a buckle. He got hit. You see his head snap up, and then he loses balance because he's all, he, he lost his balance from being hit with that shot, and he was always almost unconscious. And then his knee buckled awkwardly when he fell. I don't I don't understand. I don't understand the mystery. I don't understand the confusion. It was clear as day to me. I had no doubt that he had got caught with a shot and got dropped. I didn't I didn't see the problem. I didn't see what people were talking about from day one. I had no idea what they were talking about. It was clear as day to me. So do you think it's more about people trying to hope for the best with Kane? You know, he keeps coming back, going away, coming back, going away. Um, is it that people are trying to project something onto Kane about him being some more than what he is? And is it, is it just people feeling sympathetic for him as a character or is it something else? It's the same thing that happens with Fedor. It's the same thing that happened with Anderson. When Anderson got knocked out by Chris Weidman, Weidman knocked him out using a legitimate technique. He had Anderson out of position doing his head movement and his leaning. And then it caught him on, he caught him totally out of position by extending his punch. Oh, it was lucky punch. He wouldn't be down to Anderson because Anderson was joking. Anderson was showboating. It wasn't because Anderson was showboating. Anderson couldn't create his offense, so he started showboating to get Weidman to, to open up so that he could counter him. 
and Weidman just took advantage of it. Same thing with Fedor losing as well as this, 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 and that. People believe in Kane, and they believe that if he never got injured, he'd be the best heavyweight of all time. That's not true. He's not. He doesn't have the skills to it. He doesn't have the athletic skills to be the best heavyweight of all time. He does not have the physical skills to be the best. He doesn't have the technical skills to be the best heavyweight of all time. He's a very good heavyweight who had a good style that was built for success and it leaned heavily on his durability, his physicality, and his cardio. I have said this for years. He wouldn't have beat Stipey. I told everybody when he fought Verdun, Verdun was going to kill him. He just doesn't have the depth of skills. But people grew up with him, they've gotten attached to him, and they believe the injuries derailed his career, which is partially true. But the fact of the matter is he was never as good as people made him out to be. Never, 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 never as good as people made him out to be. Tough guy, good guy, but he was in the right space at the right time, beating up a bunch of faded veterans on his way to the title run. The only real dominant guy he beat was JD was um, JDS. I mean, he beat Bigfoot. That's after Cormier had wiped the floor with Bigfoot, and other guys had beaten Bigfoot. At that point, beating Bigfoot wasn't that big an accomplishment. But people were so attached to Kane and, and how and the and the run he went on and how dominant he looked. And they've forgotten or completely glossed over the many technical holes that he has that that got exposed when he started facing guys who were closer to their prime and had a better skill set. He didn't start losing until he started facing guys with better skill set. True. I mean, he had us. He struggled with we're doomed. That, that was probably the, the he struggled with Congo. Congo had him dead to rights. I don't even remember that fight. So you may be right there. He, I think everything Congo dropped him like two or three times. Then he started wrestling with him, if I recall correctly. Kane? I mean, I, I think so. I think it was Kane he fought. I'm going to look that up. Kane, Kane uh, his, his, Yeah, I remember that fight back in 2009. It was it was, it was was just weird because, I mean, he was totally handling I mean, Kane's beat some good names, but when did he beat him? He beat Nogueira, but when he beat Nogueira, was Nogueira still Nogueira at that point? I mean, beating Bigfoot? JDS might be the biggest name. Um... And those those wins over Antonio Silva, when Antonio Silva kind of, you know, was was on that run. Um, I mean, Travis I mean, who, Brown. Travis Brown is that is that considered a big thing now? Uh, I mean, that's I, that's why I put it. I said it with a question mark. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, like, his, the majority of his name comes off of him beating JDS. That's essentially where the biggest thing about him being the most, and the reason it's such a big thing is because JDS was wiping the floor with everybody else. So then when Kane took him out those next two times, oh, well, Kane must be the best of all time because he beat this guy who was killing everybody else. Kane didn't kill everybody else. You know, and Kane, a lot of the better heavyweights, Kane never had to face. He never had to. He never had to face a Stephen Struve. Might have killed him. Might not have. He never really had. He didn't. He didn't fight Frank Mir. We don't know. What, I'm not saying that Frank would have beat him, but we don't know. He didn't fight Frank Mir. He didn't fight. He didn't. He didn't fight um, Stipe. He didn't fight any of these guys who are out there now. And I'm not saying that he could not have beaten them. I'm just saying he did not fight guys who were in their prime and had skill sets where they could really test them and in the area. He might have gone. He might have walked through all of them. But I've just never been the biggest fan of Kane as a technical fighter and as a strategic fighter. He's a smart. He has a smart style and effective style. But I just never saw him as the best. There were just too many holes in his game. And the best guys he's fought, he's lost to. I mean, JDS, he lost to JDS the first fight, got knocked out. He fought Verdum, got knocked out, or was it submitted? He got beat up, and then I think he got submitted. He fought in Ghanu, he got knocked out. And if we're not, if, and if he would have won, people would have given him all this credit. So I don't want to hear he was coming off, of, he was rusty, all that kind of stuff. You, you can't do that. He decided to fight. He must have been prepared. He lost, and he lost decisively. 
I'm not saying King can't fight, but outside of Lesnar and JDS, I don't really know that he's had so many impressive wins. And the and the story's been told on a lot of the guys he's beaten anyways. So I think a lot of people are just attached to him, and they don't want to see the guy that they thought was the baddest man in the world be exposed like that. And the fact of the matter is he's a half step behind even even guys in the heavyweight division. He was never he was never the best technical guy, and a lot of these holes are getting exploited when he's facing better and bigger athletes. True, true. So let's look at let's go back to that main event there because what do you think is next for that? How much did this win really say for Ngannou? Did it mean anything, or is it? Are we should we still pump the brakes on this guy? The problem with Ngannou is we still don't know how he we. I mean, is is shop worn as Kane is? Kane was still able to get him to the fence, get him to the fence easily, which makes me think that Ngannou doesn't really have any answers for real wrestling outside of being athletic being able to explode out of spots or being able to power out of spots and then make a guy pay with punishment. He didn't, he didn't sidestep Kane. He didn't, he didn't tie Kane up and spin him, spin him onto the cage and open up on him. He didn't sprawl him out and go for a submission. He basically did the same thing. He always does create a little bit of space, find a sh- uh, accurate explosive shot and end the fight. So we don't really know that he's any more capable of dealing with a, a guy who can, get in on him or force him to fight at a certain range. We don't know that he can deal with any better because had Kane been able to get in there and not, and not expose himself by lunging in, he might've been able to drag him down. He might've been able to wear him out. Stylistically, I saw a clear path for Kane to win. I just didn't, I doubted his defense, but stylistically, I look at Stipe. Stipe can still take a shot. Stipe is still defensively sound. Stipe has got structures and levels and layers to his offense. I can see Stipe doing the exact same thing to Ngannou that he did before because Ngannou hasn't shown w- one bit of improvement from, from, from what Stipe exposed him in. He, ha- he hasn't been forced to. So we have no idea what Ngannou can do if a fight gets tough, if, if he gets dredged into deep waters. And right at this stage, I know the win over Kane is a big one, but I can't imagine that Daniel Cormier wants to fight Ngannou. I mean, there's a big storyline behind it, but I think Daniel Cormier is looking for a bigger name. So... I don't know what you do with Ngannou, but I just know right now I don't know that he's any better than he was when he beat when he lost to Stipe. He, he's okay. doing the same things. It just there's there's a level a certain level of heavyweight who just can't deal with what he does, largely based off the fact that he's a counter based striker and he's such a dynamic athlete. Hmm. Okay, so interesting thoughts there. Um, I, I, I'm interested in seeing what the UFC decides to do with him next. I think it's too soon to throw him right back into the title picture. So it'll be, say it again. Yeah, I think it's too soon to throw him right back into the title picture, uh, especially with Daniel Cormier, because Daniel Cormier just will take him down, toss him down, take some, toss him around and beat him up. To, to be said, to be fair about one thing, Daniel Cormier is strong and a physical and much of a grinder as he is. And he usually has a chin to survive shots and work his way through them. Daniel Cormier's entry footwork, his entries in the, stri- in the striking and clinches aren't very good. His striking at range isn't very good. His defense isn't very good. He should probably be able to handle Ngannou's power a little bit and get to the spots he needs to get to and stay in them and wear them out. But he's he's just as likely to get caught coming in as um is Kane is. I mean, think about every athletic puncher he's faced. Everybody's got to him. Johnson got to him. Uzdemir got to him. Gustafsson's got to him. Everybody's got to got to Cormier early. It it's without fail. So I have no reason to believe that Ngannou wouldn't be able to get to him as well. The question is, will Ngannou be able to finish? That's where my concern comes in because Daniel's a little – Daniel's not a shop-worn. He's still on the lower end of his stage of his career, but he's not a shop-worn. He's a much better chain wrestler, and he can fight at a much higher pace than Kane can at this stage, and he's healthier. 
well, I guess healthier as far as we know. Uh, I heard he's been having some health issues, but it's very possible he could catch Daniel early and put him out too. I mean, I'm I'm being dead serious when I say this. If he doesn't, Daniel w- wipes the floor with him. But in that first round, that first 30 seconds or two minutes, uh, Cormier could find himself in trouble real quick. Stipe, everybody's put hands on Cormier. Everybody has put hands on Cormier. He's not hard to find. True, true. So I want to move on to this Cormier event where Paul Felder and James Vick had an intriguing fight that lasted all 15 minutes with Felder getting the unanimous decision in 30-27, 30-27, 29-28. It's interesting because this fight mirrored a lot of what we talked about last week with the way Felder finished his fights and doesn't finish them effectively. But news came out that he suffered a collapsed lung at the start of the third round, which would impede anybody from doing anything. But somehow this guy still effectively fought four or five minutes. What did you think about this fight? And what kind of gutsy uh, showcases that is Felder fighting with a collapsed lung for a full five minutes? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've always thought that I've always thought that he's a very tough guy. He broke his arm against um, Platinum Mike Perry. Just that fight I saw him against Edson Barboza, where Edson was just lacing him with body kicks. He's always he's always shown an inner toughness. He's always shown that warrior spirit. He's always been a guy who who's similar to Donald Cerrone that he'll fight anybody and he'll go through anything to get a chance to compete. He I really believe he loves the sport and he loves every moment of the sport he's involved in. Um, it's a gutsy performance. It kind of says a little something about James Vick, because I know James Vick didn't know he was that hurt, but you have to think that a collapsed lung is going to impair your ability to fight or explode or be consistent with offense. And even with all that, James Vick was not able to consistently get any offense going, maintain the spots he needed to defensively or to counter Felder with with any regularity. So you have a guy who was seriously impaired and you still couldn't get anything going offensively. You still couldn't assert yourself. You still couldn't take control of the fight. You still couldn't control where the fight was taking place. Um, All the holes that Vic has were exposed. I mean, Felder's not the most active, all-out pressure guy, but he he was allowed to apply enough pressure and he attacked the he he attacked what Vic gave him. He wasn't trying to force things. Vic gave him the leg. He attacked the leg. He gave him the body. He attacked the body. He set up the shots to the head. He worked in. He transitioned inside when they had grappling exchanges. He basically just outfought him across the board from striking to grappling to wrestling. He just dictated the terms of the fight, and Vic was never able to get control of it. And Vic was never able to slow him down or get him out of position long enough where he could assert himself and get any real momentum for himself striking. Um, it's two losses in a row for Vic. Uh, I think he either needs to move up or he needs to take a long break off and really assess his game and start trying to figure out new tactics or new techniques to allow him to escape pressure and allow him to stay at the range he needs to stay at to be most effective. Cause now it's gone from not being able to lo- not being able to win the first round to now he's not able to win the second or third. He, he really could have that, – that fight easily could have been a 30-27. Uh, it was competitive, but he was never really in control. I felt like Felder was in control the whole time. And um, I don't know I don't know if Vic has regressed, or maybe it's just caught up to him. Maybe he was really never that good, which is what I always used to say, and he's finally getting exposed by it because he's facing upper-level talent. Very true. Very true thoughts there. Um, what would you? So Paul Felder continues to stay on a cusp of contention at 155. What do you think was next for him? Where would he be? Like, is he ever going to crack the top ten, top five? I find it hard to um, 
hard to argue that. He's got. He's just got to find a way to be an elite guy. He'll get the shots. He's a. He's got a look. He's a funny guy. He gets a lot of publicity because he calls the fights, and a lot of people like his personality. So he's got a. He's got a media presence. He's got a presence with the fans. He's got an exciting style. He has a a good skill set. I still say his overall mixed martial arts game is a little bit better than his his purely independent striking game, but. He's just got to be an elite guy, and I I think the fight he wants was the the winner of the Gaethje Barboza fight, and I I think he can get that if he heals up correctly. I mean he's he's clearly not fighting for what the next three four five six months at the earliest, so I mean he'll need time to heal before he can start training and get going again. Uh, but mainly the main thing is going to be can he stay healthy because this is the second fight in the row he's had a serious injury in, first with a broken arm. Now the the lungs. So you have to wonder, can his body maintain under the stresses of being a mixed martial artist, combat sports athlete? If so, then you just take the next step. You hold out for the winner of Edson Barboza, Justin Gaethje, and you go from there. Because at this stage, with his media presence and the fact that he's been in two fairly exciting fights, um, you don't want to take any steps back by fight, fighting guys who are lower ranked than you. You're trying to get ahead, which means you're going to have to fight bigger name guys. And I think Gaethje is a style that will at least guarantee him a, a quality fight. I don't know that he beats him, but I know it's a quality fight. We already know that him and Barboza is a good fight. And um, I, I think Barboza would take that fight. So, one, yeah, one of those two, I, I would take it. Unless a fight like when Nate Diaz came up, he could take that as well. But other than that, I think those are the, the most attainable fights for him right now. Something else that was popping onto my mind about Paul Felder is how high would he be ranked if there was a 165 division, 165 pound division? Let's say some of these guys were, were moved out of 155 and moved up to 165, whatever that name is. What do you think he would be at that point in time? How high do you think he would, would be ranked? Would that would that strongly benefit him? Yeah, I, I think it would. I think he'd be one of the. I think he'd be a top, top, top five guy, top three or four guy, maybe. Um, I, I do think the weight cut takes a little bit something out of him. I do think he's a little small for the welterweight division. So yeah, that'd be the, that'd be the sweet spot if they had that division. I feel that he'd be a legitimate title contender right now. True, good thoughts there. Good thoughts. Let's move on to the rest of this um, the main card. Cynthia Cavillo and Courtney Casey. You had some pretty strong thoughts about Courtney Casey as you we were watching the fight. What, what were you thinking? She has the worst IQ in mixed martial arts history. She. She started slow. She was biting. I mean, Calvillo, except for the fact that Calvillo was fainting high and coming over the top with the right hand, Calvillo was doing the same thing she always does. She's dipping around, sliding around the ring, flip, flipping out kicks, flipping out jabs, flipping out right hands. And instead of upping her volume and cutting the cage off on her and pressuring her, because Calvillo's footwork will break down under pressure, Casey is letting her dictate the pace, staying at range, not pressuring her. She's following her, walking into shots getting out of position because of feints, getting caught with the overhand right, kick to the legs, kick to the body. Casey didn't really start coming on until, like, what, the middle of the second round? And we started putting combinations together, attacking Calvillo's legs, and really pressuring her and making it physical. She started having opportunities to win the fight. But for some reason, she decided, I'm just going to give away the first round and a half of the fight. And it's what she always does. There's a clear path to victory. There are clear holes in an opponent's game. And she decides to ignore those holes, to ignore victory. She snatches defeat from the jaws of victory every single time. And yet again, when she faced what would be considered an upper echelon welterweight, she fought the wrong fight. 
ended up on the bad end of a decision and started looking crazy with her eyes like, I can't believe I lost that. I believe you lost it. You always lose big fights and you always lose them in this manner. It, it's not her coaching staff. They do a great job. You saw what they did with Barbarina. You saw what they did with ben, Benson Henderson. You've seen what they've done with other people. But for some reason, Courtney Casey can't flip the switch in her mind and it costs her repeatedly. It is almost embarrassing how she keeps losing these fights in this manner. It, I'm not even almost embarrassing. It's embarrassing how she keeps losing these fights in this manner. And I don't know what it's going to take for her to snap out of it. But she's got size. She's got reach. She's got enough skills. She's got durability. She can work at a pace. She just refuses to do these things. She makes a mental choice that I'm not going to do these things. And then she does just enough to make the fight competitive. And then she screams about robberies and looks into the camera with that that look on her face. I can't believe they went against me. I can believe they went against you. You gave around, gave away the first round in half the fight. That's why you lost. Just like you wouldn't get off your back against Michelle Watterson, which is another reason you lost. You let JoJo Calderwood take you down and hold you down. She didn't even hold you down. You held yourself down. That's why you lost. She's poor IQ. That's the only thing. Key. If she had any sort of cage IQ, she would be a contender right now. She might have a belt around her waist, but she doesn't have any. So she's win one some, lose some, win some, lose some. And always losing against the best in the division. Always. Check her record. She ain't beating anybody elite. Look at the name she's beating. There's no elite people down there. I'm not going to pile on there. You know, I didn't really have too much to say about that fight because I, I know you were going to have a lot to say. What I do want to talk Cav about. Cavillo has not approved the lick. She's doing the same stuff. Yeah. She's doing the same I, I know since she's good at it. It's the right idea, the feints, the movement. Perfect right idea. The execution is not that good, and she does not have a deep set of bag of tricks. And she'll beat these kind of girls. That's what she was doing before. But once she gets past a certain level of experience and a certain level of physical talent, that stuff will not work. Now, the, she called her Tatiana Torres. I don't think she gets that fight. Stylistically, she has a chance with her. But the fact of the matter is if she's going to be that predictable and that noncommittal in how she strikes, she's just going to – Suarez is going to get her hands on her and beat her with an inch of her life. That's See, so before I even touch upon that, I was talking to my girlfriend who's a fan of uh, Cynthia's, and we were, and I was saying that Cynthia, she if she can't close the distance, if she can't make it a grappling fight, she does not look good. Um, and she did not look good. No, at she all just moves a lot. At all. She just moves a lot. She throws a lot of strikes, and she moves a lot, but she doesn't check kicks. She takes every kick. Pearl Gonzalez was lighting her up with kicks and a jab. Um, Courtney Casey was lighting her up with kicks and a bunch of uneven straight punches. JoJo Calderwood was lighting her up with kicks and a jab. Carla Sparza just beat her in straight up exchanges. She hasn't improved. The book, the same breakdown I did of her almost a year ago applies right now. As I said on Twitter, the same scouting report I wrote works a year later. That's not the, that, that, that's not the way it works. If that's the case, that means you're not improving. If you're not improving, you're getting worse. Because her division has gotten better. She hasn't. And she had an easy win against her first win coming back. And now she had another fight against a pie fighter who legitimately sabotages herself in every fight she's involved in. So that was almost almost a gimme. You know Courtney Casey can win any fight she, she's in. But you know she's not going to because she's going to sabotage herself. I haven't seen Calvillo pushed once. And every time she's in, until she is in the second go round, we're not going to really know anything. So far, she's just getting by on talent. In mo mobility, and she can't beat anybody elite with the, what she's showing me right now. I, Carla Sparza would still beat her. Claudia Gadelia beats her with an inch of her life. Nina Anzaroff knocks her out. 
Joanne, Joanne, Jadrick outworks her. I think Tisha Torres might give her the business right now. Felice Herrick might give her the business right now. Carolina Kovacavich beats her with an inch of her life. I can't think of an elite person she beats right now. Yeah, I don't think she wants that Tatiana Suarez fight either right now. I think uh, Suarez is on a whole nother level. And when she gets her hit, she's she, I, I, it's still too soon to call her the Khabib of, of women's MMA. But when she gets her hands on you, man, like there's that's like you're fucked. Like there's no getting yeah. her off. I was talking to, to King Mo because we talked about something. I was like, well, what about this Suarez chick? How good a wrestler is she? He's like, dude, don't compare these other girls to, to Suarez. Suarez can really wrestle. She's not Carla Sparza wrestling. She's not Misha Tate wrestling. This girl can actually wrestle like world class, gets her hands on you and do whatever she wants to you wrestle. He goes, ain't nobody messing with her in these wrestling exchanges. You can catch her on the feet. She gets her hands on you. It's a wrap. You ain't getting off the cage. You're not reversing position. You're not beating her in a scramble. You're not submitting her. She is going to work you over and work you over because she got a mean streak too. And Cavillo's whole game is creating scrambles on the ground. She's not really a great top top position wrestler. She's not a great takedown person either. She doesn't defend takedowns really great either. Esparza took her down. Amanda Bobby Cooper take it, took her down. She had a hard time getting JoJo Calderwood down. Um, like I said, if she can't maintain the distance and just run away from Suarez, which is possible, Suarez is very stiff on the feet. But Suarez hits hard. She's a better athlete. She's bigger. She's stronger. Suarez gets her hands on her. She's going down. And Suarez gets on top of her, and they might have to put Suarez in jail for what she's going to do from a top position. In fact, they, they probably will put her in jail. There will be a chalk outline of Cynthia Calvillo. So I want to move on to talk about Chrome Gracie, where he got that smooth-ass win of Alex Caceres. It went exactly the way I said it was going to go. Takedown, submission, first round. There's almost nothing that you can do about that once he gets his hands on you. And he goes for that body lock to that uh, that knee drop uh, transition to, to the back. As soon as as soon as soon he got his hands on uh, Crone, everybody in the room, or excuse me, as soon as Crone got his hands on Alex, everybody in the room that I was watching him with just groaned like, oh, here we go. And that's exactly what happened. I think he would have beat him either way because Sarah started trying to stand his ground. And that's not what you do against the guy. Cron has, he looks like he hits for power. He knows nobody wants to grapple with him, so he can walk right in on you. Because if you overcommit on the strike, he's in on you. You overcommit on a, a round kick, he's in on you. The thing about it is, if I was Alex Carceres' team, I'm like, dude, you just get on your bike. First round, I don't care if they boo you. I don't care if they're throwing stuff in the cage. You just circle and run. If you have to turn your back and run away from this man, you turn your back and run away from this man and make this man get frustrated and make him chase you, make him throw up his hands, make him lunge too hard, make him give you something. You don't stand your ground against that kind of person. Alex Caceres isn't a big enough hitter, nor is he an accurate enough hitter. His whole thing is he's mobile, he's athletic, he's long. And instead of using long front kicks of the body in the face, push kicks, jabs, he's trying to do spinning stuff. He's, stand, he's standing in front of him. He's trying to back him up with a jab. You don't try and back up a guy with a jab when all he has to do, once he gets his hands off you, you can't get him off you. You run. You make him chase you all around the cage. If he just stands there and looks at you, you stand in there and look at him. It's not your job to be entertaining. It's not your job to put on a show. It is your job to get a win or to make his getting a win as difficult as possible. And once he started setting his feet and trying to settle in, I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This, this is not going to go badly. I don't care about fans. He should have – he could have taken a different route and it at least made it challenging for Kron. He did not. You don't go out there trying to knock that guy out. You make him chase you. You wear him out. You make him chase you all around the cage. You make him get frustrated. When he gives you something, then you go for it. You don't stand your ground. You don't try spinning stuff because he's just looking for any chance to get his hands around your waist or lock his arms around your body. And you saw what happened as soon as he got his hands on his body. 
oh my god, that dude is like a leech. Yeah, like there was there was no getting him off at all. So I'm I'm enjoying what I'm what I'm seeing. I, or I enjoy what I saw there. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him next. I'm all in for a fight between Chrome Gracie and Ryan Hall some point in time. In oh, the- I would love it. I, 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 I want to see if Ryan Hall take that. Would Ryan Hall take it? He says he wants to fight. And that's a safe fight for Gracie, too. That You're going to get the fight you want. That's a hell of a fight right there. So I, I, I'm just, you know, I would, I would, I would lose my mind. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rafael will be front row for that one. He goes, are you, I'll be like, you saying for the main event? No, it's already happened. Dude, this yeah. is a prelim. No, no. I'm already gone. Done. I'm done. I'm going home. So the only other fight I want to talk about in this card was uh, Aljamain Sterling and Jimmy Rivera. Is this the big win that Sterling has needed and been looking for for his career, or since they both were stopped by Marlon Morales and such? Uh, you're breaking up. You're moving around a little bit there, Swan. You're making a lot of noise, man. Yeah, I got you. Cool. Oh, cool. So, is this the fight that uh, Sterling needed to submit himself, or is it just the fact that him and Jimmy both got knocked smooth out by Marlon Morales that this fight doesn't do so much for him right at this point in time? Before I get into this fight, there's one more fight we have to talk about after this, but I just w- I'll get to this one first. I, this neither one of them could afford to lose this fight. They just couldn't. Rivera and Aljamain. Aljamain had never got a name, a really gotten a big name. When he fought Marais, Marais wasn't a big name. Part of him building his name was knocking out Sterling and then going on and knocking out Rivera and then that following up by Insunza. Now he's a name. This was they, neither one of them could afford to lose this fight, and this does put his his name in the ring for a potential contender. Yeah, he got knocked out by Marlis and Marlon and he got done pretty pretty easily for all intents and purposes. But the fact of the matter is he has a big win and there's not many other Bantamweights in the top 10 who have big wins at this stage. Cody Garbrandt hasn't fought again yet. Um, TJ was fighting at 125 and got... Say that again? It just leaves essentially Marlon and Aljamain. I mean, who else... Who else is coming off multiple wins? Who else is coming off multiple impressive wins? These two guys. I don't know that they're going to put them back in, but at least puts him in the conversation. Marlon might get the next shot. Aljamain wins another fight. There you go. He's, he's right in there for it. And the best thing about this win is he got a chance to show some of his striking chops. He showed that he can work in the boxing range a little bit. He threw some volume. He kind of mixed things up a little bit. And he, he showed that he's developed a little bit more comfort and a little bit more confidence in his willingness to strike in that range. He's always willing to throw the kicks and the spinning stuff and, and through those takedowns. But the biggest hole in this game has been his inability or unwillingness to fight in the boxing range. It hurts later on in fights because he has to extend and reach for takedowns instead of being right there to snatch them. Even as athletic as he is, he can't go a leg's length away and get the takedown clean. When you're going for boxing range and the guy overcommits, you got him. So it, it's going to open up a whole other aspect of his game. And it's really what, pulled Rivera. Rivera was expecting a certain range, a certain pace. The minute he threw that back fist, Rivera was confused and Rivera was never able to com- recover because he didn't expect Aljamain to walk into the pocket and start throwing hands. So essentially, he was on the defensive the whole time, and he's not good on the defensive. If he's not dictating the pace, he is not nearly as effective. And if, he, if you go away from your plan A or you have another plan, you go with plan B, he's not ready for it. He's ready for the long range, the long range shots, the, the rushing in for clinch attempts, the kicks. He was not ready for Aljamain to get in the pocket and do work. He was not ready for a spinning attack. He was not ready for Aljamain to walk him down. And he just had no answers for it, as I, as I predicted. Plan A, ready for it. The takedowns, the clinches, ready for that. 
the boxing, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And he had no answer for it. He wouldn't counter. He wouldn't get into exchanges. He wasn't really working the body. He wasn't putting his shots together. He just was essentially letting Aljamain throw, and then he'd throw back. And that allowed Aljamain to take control of the fight, not be threatened offensively, be comfortable, and be confident, and just walk him down and work him over. It was, it was pretty much the worst performance of Rivera's career. I, I can't, can't count Marlon because Marlon caught him so early, but this was the, the worst performance of his career. I've never seen him look that bad and that, that, that unprofessional. So, man, like, unprofessional is a pretty interesting word there. Do you book him, Do you book Aljamain in that fight against Cody, uh, Cody Garbrandt right now, seeing how they're feuding on social media? If Cody wins, you make that. It's a fight with some history. It's a fight with name value. Whoever wins that fight pretty much catapults themselves, if not into the next title champ. Probably if if they let TJ fight Henry at 125 again, it's going to be an interim title. Whoever wins that fight is guaranteed to get to face Marlon for the interim title belt. Or if they win, they might they might jump over Marlon and be be the next title challenger. So it, it just depends on what Cody does. And as good a wrestler as Aljamain is, we still know defensively he's a little skittish in the pocket. He's not really good boxing defensively. And I think his offense is a little bit overstated because, like I said, he was only doing this because he rocked Rivera early and Rivera never recovered. Is predictable as Cody is and as limited as he is defensively, Cody is still the biggest hitter in division. And he's got essentially, except for maybe Peter Yan, he's got the cleanest hands when he's working on them. He's got the best hands in division. So he's capable of exploiting um, Aljamain in that area that he's always been exploited in historically in his career, which is the boxing range. So it, it's a good matchup stylistically. And it, and if, if Cody wins in dominant fashion in his next fight, it's a fight that have interest. And it's a fight that will determine one of the next challengers for the title in that weight class. Yeah, I think that that fight has to go to uh, has to go to Marlon next because he's just done way too much. Yeah, yeah. He's done it in a dynamic fashion that if they avoid him, that's going to speak to something larger, and I don't want to see that happen. What was the fight that you wanted to uh, highlight? I, I needed to talk about you, we. You saw the uh, the Evan Smith fight and uh, yep. against Andrea Lee. Yep. Now you saw you saw the you knew you knew that Evan Smith was going to be fighting Andrea Lee, right? Correct. Yeah. Didn't seem to know that was Evan Smith's team. They had no idea that she was fighting Andrea Lee because if that's the game plan they came up with, then they didn't know she was fighting Andrea Lee. They did not know that because that was the worst game plan I have ever seen from a fighter. That was terrible. This is the girl who got outboxed by Beck Rawlings in over half of her fight, and then she decided that I'm going to exchange strikes with Andrea Lee. What, what I, it's just frustrating because the camp's job is to prepare you, give you a sound strategy based off film work, histor- historical references of a fighter, their physical tools, their frame, their temperament. And they, get the, they come up with a game plan, and then they train you in a manner to prepare for that person's strengths, to exploit their weaknesses, and to be prepared to make an adjustment if your strengths aren't able to put you in a position of power. Her team didn't do that. They just figured she's big, she's strong, and she throws a lot of volume and walks in on this girl and throws a front kick. She'll be able to overwhelm her, get her to the cage, get her hands on her, take her down and beat her up. They had no game plan for when Lee made the adjustment. The closest round was the first round because she was caught off guard by how tough Smith was, how much volume she was throwing in that front kick. After that, 
she made an adjustment. She started cutting angles. She started walking Smith into shots. She started doubling, tripling up on her jab. She started going high and low to the bodies of the head, to the heads of the body, started attacking the legs, started transitioning into takedowns, started punishing Evan Smith on every takedown attempt she made, and just beat her from pillar to post from three rounds. And instead of telling her, you're losing the fight, you need to do this, you're, you, need, you need to get it together, they're telling her, you're just doing fine. You're just doing fine. You're just doing fine. She wasn't doing fine. You were lying to her. And the worst part of this is they're telling her, oh, you need to get your head off the center line. You need to, yeah, that's great advice. But the reason she can't get her head off the center line is because you don't work on it in camp. There's no way you spend, and you, like I said this before, you can't work on something six weeks before you fight somebody. You already know what a fighter's strengths are. Every time between fights, you are addressing their weaknesses. You can't tell someone, we're going to work on your head movement for six weeks, and you're going to do it when you're tired. You're going to do it when you're beat up. You won't be able to do it. So they're telling her to do things that they have not trained her to do under duress. That's not what a good camp does. That's not what a good coach does. And people are like, well, you don't know them. You know, I don't know them. I can see their fighter. Her striking hasn't gotten any better from her last fight against Beck Rawling. And I don't understand how her transitions haven't gotten any better. She is a wrestler with pretty good athleticism and strength. And instead, she's trading strikes at long distance with a long, mobile, accurate, hard-hitting fighter. What sense does that make? And how do they... How was that the game plan they came going out? I understand there's pressure. I understand things change in the, in the midst of a fight because you get hurt, you get tired, uh, things don't work. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you came out with the wrong game plan. That's like fighting Damian Maya and somebody says, take him down real quick. Excuse me? They set her up for failure. And I can almost guarantee they were lying to her throughout her camp. Oh, you're doing great. You're doing fine. You didn't get her the right sparring. She didn't react like somebody who had been sparring with somebody who could move, who could pump a jab, who could attack different levels and attack in layers of offense and defense. She felt like somebody who was just used to pressuring people and walking through them. And I don't know why they thought they were going to pressure and walk through Andrea Lee. That was just poor pre preparation, poor, poor corner work, just poor performance altogether. I have to believe Ashley Evan Smith is better than that. And if she's not, then she needs, she needs to go on a regional circuit because she ain't going to last very long in this division. She will not last very long in this division. That's saying much because the flyweight division is very thin right now. That was an awful performance by her, and it was a terrible performance by her corner. And people were like, what do you know? I talk to corners all the time. I've worked with corners. I've given corners better game plans for free than she actually paid these people to give her. These are paid professionals. She paid them a salary to come up with that garbage game plan. So she could have just given me half of it, and I came up with something much better. That was bad. And I can only say that as a person who's worked with camps, worked with higher-ranked fighters, who've beaten higher-ranked fighters than she's beaten at this stage, and that was terrible. That was terrible, and this is common in mixed martial arts. People lie to their fighters and tell them they can do things they can't. They lie about their opponents, tell their opponents can't do things to them that they can, and then they take the money and send them out there to get slaughtered. It's one thing not to win. It's another thing to get your, your fighter beaten within an inch of their life, taking years off their prime, and making them look bad on a national TV audience is which they did. So this sets her back very badly. And she took a beating. She's going to take it. She's going to need to take time off and she's going to have to go back to the drawing board and figure. And I don't mind saying it because I said it on Twitter. I'm saying it now. MMA corners, very few are good. Most of them are really bad, really bad. Trevor Whitman said the same thing I'm saying, but he's Trevor Whitman. So people are going to listen to him and they're going to call me a hater. I don't care. That was terrible. I could have come up with something better in my sleep. I could have come up with better corner work in my sleep. I swear to God. It 
they they told her nothing of any use. They were lying to her the whole time and let her w- watch her get beat up the whole time. And I I'm just through with it. I just had to say that. True. All right, man. You had you had to you had to go in for a minute. I just, that's why we here sometimes, man. That's why we do what we do. Uh, I am not even sure. Are there fights this weekend? Yeah, I think they're gonna have John. But I can't say his name. Beachovich. He's got the light heavyweight. He's fighting um Santos. Yeah. Wow. Uh, there are fights this weekend. I'm not even. Man, I'm totally out of the loop. Um, Jam. That, that was one hell of a card on Sunday. That was one hell of a card. It's it's hard to follow that one up, and they're not giving they're not giving you much to follow it up with. That's a it's a real thin card. Let's just say that. I don't think anyone rank is fighting, man. Uh, nobody who's ranked in the top ten. I mean, they have Peter Yon. So maybe the main event, maybe two ranked guys, but no one else. Yeah, the main event, Peter Yon versus Dodson. Dodson is still ranked, I think. Maybe, and that's it. Yeah, it's it's a filler card. It, it's a filler card. All right, that's pretty interesting there. So let everybody know what you're working on this week and where to catch your work. Oh, I'm I'm working on I'm working on two articles that are going to address management of fighters and prospects and camps of fighters and prospects. I'm just going to go through the, the one, two, threes or one through fives, whatever of rules of what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do so that anybody who's dealing with these people can understand that maybe I'm not working with the best people. They, if you get like we said before with the Sage thing, people are mad at Sage because it gets overpaid. You agree to this, your management argued for this salary for you. Why are you mad at Sage? Because he's got a better team than you do. That's your team's fault. They undervalued you and they got you this shitty payment you're getting. If you got a camp and all you're working on is your strengths or all they keep doing is getting by on your athletic ability, which almost, I don't want to say about 75% of camps do. I can only go by what I've seen. They're not a very good camp. They're setting you up for failure. They're taking large segments of your money, sitting in hotels that your salary is paying for and sending you out to slaughter and then yelling at you and blaming you for not performing. That, that's what they do. You rarely hear a camp say, we messed up. It's always, well, you know, he, they didn't execute what I told them. Did you tell them that, did you t- tell them to do things that they've been trained to do? Or did you just pull stuff out of your ass and tell them to do it and then get mad at them because they can't? Because if you ain't ever told somebody to slip a punch, they ain't going to learn how to slip it after they've been getting punched in the face for two rounds. That's the wrong time to pull that. Give them advice based off of what you trained them for. Oh, you just trained them to walk into punches all the time? That's what they're going to do. That's your fault. Well, I mean, there you go. I'm going to say this. Type, type, type things. And you never know what he's going to rant about every other uh, Thursday him here on the MMA Ratings Podcast. You never and these know. And these camps get to me, too. They've con- people I've real for, they have contacted him. And they're like, well, you know, I don't really like the way he's saying this about our camp. Dude, I'm stating facts. You can tell me what you don't like, but let's look at the facts. I'm talking about actual f- I do this, too. You're working with the 15th ranked fighter. I worked with somebody who was high, who was high ranked in that division, who was as high ranked as number two. So we're not even on the same level here. They came to me. I don't get paid. They came to me for this. They paid me and came looking for me to do this. You trick somebody into doing this for you. So we ain't even on the same level. We're, we're there's levels like Floyd Mayweather said. There's levels of this. You ain't on mine. That's why I'm calling you out. Well, folks. Um... That's it. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> speechless dealing with this guy this week. So we're gonna go ahead and close it out, man. Uh, 
as always, check us out on Twitter and Instagram at MMA Ratings Net, where you can follow our content as we always talk about mixed martial arts and, and stay up to date on the sport. Um, you can find me at Garcia underscore sports, where I'm always talking about MMA, pro wrestling, and everything else in between. Shawn Humes is at Black Jordan Green. And yeah, that's it. We'll be back here next week. Uh, go to MMARatings.net to rate our uh, to rate the fights. Let us know what you thought about the fights as they are coming up and as they end. And with that in mind, man, Shawan, I will talk to you next week. Man, we're out of here for tonight. All right, man. Take it easy. Have a good one.